Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Paladin, Paladin, where do you roam? Paladin, Paladin, far, far from home. You know I'm a huge Have Gun, Will Travel fan. I love this show. I love it so much, my wife said, you got to have a book on it. And not a lot of books on that. Found a great book about somebody who is dug deep kind of the same stuff that i've been interested in so we're going to talk to her and find out all about have gun will travel her name is kathleen spencer she's the author of this great book and we'll mention it a few times art and politics in have gun will travel and kate's a retired professor of literature first of all kate welcome to the show i'm so happy that you've dug into this and it just seemed appropriate for Paladin and Have Gun Will Travel, that a professor of literature would come in and look at this thing. This isn't just a TV critic or anything, because that show was so much different than not just Westerns, but really most 50s programming. Exactly. I started as a fan. I I watched this series when I was a kid, the first couple of years. And I'm sure I didn't make much of it at the time, except I was just compelled by this character. And then the family went on to other things, and I didn't see it. And it was only when I was watching the movie Stand By Me um, in 1986 that, that I, if you remember the show, it's these four boys who are on an expedition to find the body of a kid who's been killed by a train. So they're marching across this long, empty valley on the railroad tracks, and they start singing the theme song to Have Gun, Will Travel. Have Gun, Will Travel, reads the card of a man. That show had been out of my head for 40 years, and all of a sudden, there it was again. And I just was flooded with this feeling, golly, I loved that. I wonder how it would hold up now as an adult. I wonder if it's as good as I remembered. And a few years later, once Columbia House started releasing the videos, the episodes on for home video, I started buying them and watching them and was amazed and delighted to discover, yes, indeed, they were as good as I had remembered. And now I had the, the skills to ask deeper questions. Okay, what makes it good? How is it different from everything else that was on the air at the time? And what can we make of it? What has it got to tell us today? And I think it does hold up. I think there's no question of it. In fact, I think it's superior to a lot of what we see on television or what's streamed and so forth. I think it holds up real well. Let's tell people what the story was, because Paladin was the character, the main character. It all went around him. The great Richard Boone played Paladin, made him his character. Uh, kind of, Can you just give us a real brief synopsis of how the show works? What, what's, what's the basic thing? If somebody had never seen it, how would you explain it? Okay, here's the premise. Paladin is a gun-for-hire, sort of. He's living in San Francisco in the 1870s. He is 
an expert at everything. I, I call him, he's kind of an American Sherlock Holmes because he knows everything about everything. He has skills with many different martial arts and, and uh, military weapons and that sort of thing. But he is, at the same time, highly cultured, highly educated. He knows and likes opera, ballet, dance, uh, classical music. He knows and appreciates fine clothing, fine cigars, fine whiskeys, fine women. But periodically what will happen, he's in his private happy life in San Francisco, and he'll receive a telegram from someplace or read an article in the paper that indicates here's a problem. Somebody's got a problem that the local authorities are not able to solve. They need his help, and he takes off his fancy fancy dude clothes, puts on his trail clothes, which are all black, and heads out to solve people's problems. What a great description of that. As right on the money. Now, you know, people that will see Paladin, they watch the very beginning, and they see, of course, the title, Have Gun. Well, yeah, he definitely is a gunfighter. And when you watch Westerns, especially from that era, it was all about gunfighters going in. They generally were the bad guy. He was different. And the interesting part was, even though he was a gunfighter and used guns, no question, he only did it when it was absolutely necessary, which was different than every other show. Exactly. He's... He's got some qualities of the gunfighter. He shares some qualities with gunfighters. He also shares some qualities with lawmen, who is the other major gun users on, in the West. But he's different from both of those. Like the gunfighter, he's, he has professional skill with a gun, and he uses it to make his living. But unlike the gunfighter, for him, that kill-or-be-killed gunfight is a last resort not the first. And he is not using his gun to build a reputation for himself or to build his ego. He uses it as a tool. Like the lawman, he is concerned about justice. But where the lawman is concerned only with a single community and is constrained by laws, Paladin is worried about kind of the the larger idea of civilization of what makes community possible in these very fragile communities in the West. And he is not constrained by the laws. He has more flexibility than the normal sheriff or marshal to figure out ways to solve problems that can go outside the laws the way they're written. With that in mind, it was really appropriate that they made his home base San Francisco, which was probably the most sophisticated major city in the West, you know, west of the Mississippi. He's in the Carlton Hotel, but he can, from there, he can go everywhere. So even though he's working out of San Francisco, where he actually goes to to uh, perform these services could be anywhere from a small rural town to Mexico, anywhere in the West, uh, which which kind of made that interesting as well. Uh, Right. A much wider variety of settings and locations than any of the other Westerns were able to manage. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as long as we're comparing them, I was thinking when you were talking, kind of Matt Dillon, which developed Mm -hmm. over a couple of decades, but he was somebody. Yeah, and, and he hated, if you watch the beginning shows, he didn't like that you had to do these things. It was a horrible thing, but somebody had to do it. But like you say, his whole thing was protecting the people of Dodge City. And Paladin's was more of a, I'd say even beyond the United States, it was more of an international concern. He was concerned with the the rights of man. 
Exactly. And women. <laughs> and women, absolutely. Right. And we'll talk about that because as much as he loved women, uh, also he respected them in a way that was rarely seen in television at that time. The only other thing I could think of maybe was like Perry Mason, who had such a great relationship with Della Street in, on a professional level. And that's about the only one I can think of because Paladin respected women. He respected people of all ethnicities. In fact, I think he was kind of intrigued by them. They came from a different uh, oh, region yeah. or culture. Yes. Definitely. Um, interested, sympathetic, wanting to know more, recognizing the value of different perspectives, different ways of looking at the world. He started with this business card, and I think that really is a fascinating part of the show. He'd hand people a business card. And in fact, what was interesting about it is I always kind of I always think about Popeye when when he would eat with spinach, there was a song that went off. Well, in the same way, whenever he would hand the card, there'd be that ta-ta-ta-ta, which, yep. <laughs> which right. kind of went that in. The whole idea of giving a card and so forth, again, really unique to this character. It's part of, the, part of the, to use a technical term, the leitmotif that ties the whole series together. The Bernard Herrmann's theme music, uh, you know, that bum-bum-bum-bum, that always accompanies the presentation of the card, and that always it happens once in every episode, but never more than once. And I know my father used to say he loved the Western because he always felt smarter after he saw it. I mean, you know, this was a well-read man. He'd be, while he's staring you down and getting into a, uh, getting ready to, uh, to have a, a gun battle and so forth, he may pull up a biblical phrase or a Shakespeare quote or that kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. This was, exactly. You mentioned or, that before. He was just really, he was really intelligent and also culturally literate across the board, and that made him more interesting. It made him better at what he did. Right. Writers loved to write for this series because they knew that they could write real words that meant something and that Boone had the skill to say them the way they were supposed to be said and to say them like they meant something. Um, it, they had a chance to write for this very unusual character way beyond the, the traditional cliches of the Western. I mean, that if you think about the typical Western hero, it's the man of few words, right? right. Actions are what, are what are his signature. That's what you judge the man by his actions. Well, Paladin is, for, for Paladin, words are just as powerful as the gun often more powerful and certainly preferable. The gun is a last resort. More with Kate Spencer, the author of Art and Politics in Have Gun, Will Travel, the 1950s television western as ethical drama, in just a moment. We're discussing Have Gun and its star, Richard Boone. If you're interested in this kind of conversation, please let me know at stephen at vegasneversleeps.com. That's stephen at vegasneversleeps.com. This is Vegas Never Sleeps. Hey everybody, this is Sam Riddle and you are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? 
low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airline travel. It's that easy. So call now and start packing. Call right now. 800-267-1806. 800-267-1806. 800-267-1806. That's 800-267-1806. Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived in Philadelphia. Local time is 3.05 p.m. and the temperature is 67 degrees. At this time, you are now free to use your cellular devices. You know that feeling when you get to turn your phone on after the plane lands? You can have that feeling every time you drive. Make sure your cell phone is stowed away whenever you are behind the wheel. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Are you in bad pain? You know what I mean. Your knees hurt. Your shoulder hurts. Your elbow and back are constantly killing you. And I'm sure you've tried every pain pill or cream available at the drugstore. Am I right? Well, here's something you haven't tried. Pain Magic. Pain Magic is not available at any drugstore. The only place you can get it is by calling the special toll-free number I'm about to give you. And to make things even better, call right now and find out about our buy one, get one free offer. We're so confident it'll work for you that we offer a free bottle with your purchase. No prescription required. Call now to learn how you can get pain magic and get rid of your pain. Remember, your results may vary. 800-419-1971. 800-419-1971. 800-419-1971. That's 800-419-1971. Paladin, Paladin, where do you roam? Paladin, Paladin. You know, you mentioned they love to work with him and write. I mean, Gene Roddenberry, the great writer from uh, Star Trek, uh, creator of that, did a number of shows. And also, I I was going through some of the list of of characters that were guests and so forth. Mm -hmm. Some were were big stars. Others were people that ended up becoming big stars. It must have been a place where a real actor wants to take a shot at it because it's such such an open opportunity, unlike the typical Western of the day. Right, exactly. They were very careful. The acting as a craft was extremely important to Richard Boone. It saved his life in an important way. He was a man who had, he's very much like Paladin. In fact, everybody who knew him said he was Paladin. He had the same ferocious intellect, the same cultured education and and taste, um, the same compassion for the weak, and the same passion for for justice and the same great physical capabilities but when he was when he was young Boone described himself as having a raging lust for life for excitement but without the judgment to control it my image from he's like an explosion waiting to happen all these really potent powerful impulses packed down tight and trying not to go off unexpectedly and, and in damage 
So what he was looking for was a way to shape and control all of these powerful forces that were operating in him, the intelligence, the energy, the very intense emotions, a lot of this physical energy, and he's, he's trying to find some outlet for it, a constructive way to channel it that would allow him to express himself in the right venue so that he can live up to his own extraordinarily high standards. He tried a lot of other things. He, he tried boxing. He was, he was a, an expert boxer. In fact, when he was a student at Stanford, he won the, the uh, light heavyweight championship twice. But boxing, and he, he liked it, but it wasn't, it wasn't where he needed to be. He tried painting, and he loved it, but he was awful at it, so it, that didn't do. After World War II, he, he served in the war as a uh, tail gunner in a torpedo bomber and had very difficult experiences. But when he got home from the war, he decided he wanted to try to write. He was going to try to write plays. But then he realized he didn't know how to write dialogue. So he says, okay, I will go to an, a theater school and hang around with actors, study with actors, to learn how to write dialogue. So he went to the neighborhood Playhouse School of Theater in New York City, walked into the acting classes, and immediately realized that's where he needed to be, that that was what he had been looking for. It was a craft and an art that used absolutely everything in him, his physical abilities, his intellectual and analytical abilities, and his emotions, and allowed him to to express himself and to keep growing and to understand other people through the medium of theater. He was able to kind of go right away to smart roles. I mean, I think he started with Medea, which I remember being in that in high school. <laughs> That's really heavy stuff, you know. As, a, as an understudy, as the understudy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then one of his first shows was Medic. And I remember Medic because it was, I, I, I don't remember from the time, but I remember reading about it. It was, again, kind of like Have Gun, not, a, not, not to that level, but it was kind of a cut above. It was a higher-end show, and that worked perfectly for him. And again, what he was was a method actor, and that's really important. I don't know if your audience knows that. Method actors attempt to use, in, instead of using an external approach to acting, to try to use tricks and techniques to demonstrate the outer appearance of a character, what a method actor tries to do is to get inside the character, drawing on their own emotional experiences to flesh out this realistic character from the inside out. So it's, it's emotionally and intellectually very demanding, but highly skilled. And Boone was a lifelong, uh, lifelong commit, committed to method acting. He joined the actor's studio and became a lifetime member and, and taught acting out in, once he got out to Hollywood. So what he was looking for when, as, when he was doing medic, where he's playing this doctor, he studied medicine. He went and he observed surgeries and the kinds of medical procedures that would be happening in the show. The object of the show was to be as realistic as possible about current medicine and to be informative, to educate the audience about what was possible. So he invested so much energy 
in making this character realistic that most people thought he really was a doctor. There was one doctor who had a clinic out in, in the Midwest, someplace, Kansas, I think, who wrote and offered him a job running his clinic. Wow. <laughs> Boone, diplomatically, he didn't say, hey, buddy, I'm an actor, not a doctor. He wrote back and said he was too busy with the show to, uh, <laughs> to, to accept this job. This was a smart guy. I mean, he had his demons. I know he struggled with alcoholism and so forth. But right. he, he was one of those guys that was ahead, ahead of the, the thought process. And much like Dizzy Arnaz and uh, Jackie Gleason, he got a piece of the action. And that one last year where they wanted him to extend because uh, he was going to do it, I, you, you, you'll know the right answer, about four or five years. And then they, they CBS came to him. The show was, was doing fantastic. And... Uh, they gave him a little piece of the action. Well, it, w- no, it wasn't that they gave him a piece of the action. They they gave him a big chunk of money to extend into a sixth season. He was ready to leave at the end of five because he had done as much with Paladin as he could. It was it was uh, too hard to keep the role fresh. After I mean, this is not only five years, but you need to remember in in the fifties, a season for a television show was 38 or 39 episodes, yeah. not the current, what, sometimes sometimes 22, sometimes only like 12. Yeah. So this is, he did a, a total of 225 episodes in the six years. Wow. So they gave him a big chunk of money to convince him to stay for a sixth season. Where the big money came in was at the end of this, they paid him, they wanted to buy the rights to Paladin from him just outright, and offered him a million dollars for that. And he agreed, but rather than taking the million in a lump sum, which would have meant in, the, in those days, like I think that would have been an income tax rate of about 90%, instead he worked out this amazing deal that the network would pay him $50,000 a year for 20 years, yeah. which was, that was the first time that happened in Hollywood, and it set the precedent for many other actors in a similar position which gave him a much better financial basis. But he was allowed to do... He had a big stake in this show. For one thing, it was pretty much his. He was not officially the producer, but in in practice he was. Um, He controlled pretty much everything that happened uh, on the show, from scripts to casting to directors, the whole, even the costumes. Uh, He had his hand in all of that. But he also wanted it to be the best it could possibly be not to make himself look good, but to create the best product. He, he saw theater almost as a religion. This is something that's really important, and so everybody has to be doing their best to make the best product you can. So he was allowed to start directing about the middle of the season, about the, the middle of the, the run, about, a, about season three. He finally got permission to do some directing, which made him very happy. It kept him growing and stretching himself and learning new stuff. When you buy this book, and you really should, Art and Politics in Have Gun Will Travel, real simple thing, just look up Have Gun Will Travel. There's not a lot of books on it, so you'll find it. And you look for uh, Kathleen Spencer, of course. But one of the things you'll see is she has this great part at the end. I mean, that, this is worth the price of the book just on this load, where it's just episodes you might want to see, particularly were special. 
if you want, you can kind of. It's one of those series that don't doesn't require like you have to watch season one to understand season five. It isn't like that at all. They're, you can go not, around. Yeah, they're not sequential. Right, exactly. And, you had one, and, and that's what I want to get into of uh, getting back into the difference of the way mm-hmm. Paladin and Richard Boone really uh, treated minorities and women. Which again, you got to put yourself back in the fifties. It isn't like today. It was really different. And most shows. Just didn't do anything like this, but right. they had they had a show. I just watched it uh, with Robert Blake playing uh, a, a Mexican sheep herder. Now, right. you know, in any other western at that time, it would have been a really bad accent, and you know, it could be a nice guy, but it fell into this uh, little category. Instead, both Robert Blake and I'm sure Richard Boone, and the writing of this and the way this was portrayed made this character completely different. And by the time you were done, all that stuff went away. You didn't even think of it. It just was a really interesting character. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind mm-hmm. of thing I saw he did in there. It, it was, he didn't, I guess he didn't believe in stereotypes, or you sure didn't see it in these shows. No, he was, he was trying very, very hard. He didn't want stereotypes in the writing. The, the, from, from its beginning, this was designed as a non-Western Western. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So they really tried hard to uh, to avoid the the conventional Western stories to the extent that they could. They chose they cast actors who were not you know with twenty years experience playing westerns. The writers who came from a much varied background and were looking for a whole different kind of story. Um, directors who had a variety of experience as well. In fact, the original idea for the series was set in a modern time. Um, Paladin was a character who lived in New York City in the 1950s, um, lived in a hotel there, came downstairs in a trench coat, looked at, his, looked at his daily papers, found the problem he wanted to deal with, sent off a wire saying, you know, contact me if you need help, and then he would fly off to all these different venues, international, all kinds of places, to solve problems. And the creators of the show, uh, Sam Rolfe and Herb Meadow, and CBS said, well, we like it a lot, but can you make it a Western? Because Westerns were so hot at the time. So they did. They converted it to a Western. But they, they still wanted to keep a lot of this non-Western flavor. They wanted to stay away from the cliches. And so using the minorities and using as many different locations as possible was all part of that. Well, you know what was great about it, too, is they used history. There were things that came up from different people from history. Uh, right. There was one about Little Bighorn that didn't occur on Little Bighorn but at the battle, but it was about a guy who was trying to go back to it. He was trying to rejoin his unit, which just happened to be the 7th Cavalry, um, and he gets there just in time to witness the end of the battle. Didn't he do something with Oscar Wilde, too? Yep, there's an, that's not one of the better episodes, but yeah, Oscar Wilde is there. There's an episode about the early days of TNT and its creator. Right. And they're careful with that um, because the series takes place in a kind of a permanent present. You know, like modern series, the characters will age and change and their relationships develop over time. So yeah, you, have to, you really need to watch them in order. With Have Gun, Will Travel, the episodes are pretty much all set in, like, 19, uh, 1876 or thereabouts. Grant is president, and everything is set at about the same time. 
And I kind of agree with you. Uh, while those shows were interesting, the really kind of the everyday stuff, this, the thing that made the show special was it, it would approach things that you never even thought of. And there wasn't always, you know, in most of those things, the bad guy was a bad guy, real bad. So his his characters and the people that he dealt with, eh, they could be a bad guy that had a good side to him too. It, they weren't quite that obvious, which made it more interesting. It wasn't just that they were not, the point was that they always had a reason for what they were doing. They were wrong. They were bad. But they they didn't come out of nowhere. They had motives for what they were doing. They had reasons for why they were the way they were. Often they they had misunderstood something profound or they had been traumatized or damaged by some early experience or were completely blinded by emotion. This is especially true in some of the, the scripts that Roddenberry wrote. That, that was a, a common pattern in those scripts. So what he, what he wants is, and, and that's another part of getting away from cliché or stereotyped characters, these are all real people, or as many as possible of them, are real people who, are, who have understandable motives for what they do, even when you don't agree with them. And we will continue this conversation with Kate Spencer in our next episode. In the meantime, please follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Manchi reminding you, Vegas Never Sleeps. Vegas, here we go! Here's a great way to save money on your prescription medications. If you take Viagra or Cialis, we can give you a way to pay as little as $2 a pill. Compare that to prices as high as $60 per tablet. These pills work for men and women to improve their sexual performance. And now for the price of two or three pills, you can get nearly 100. There's no need to pay expensive prices for Viagra or Cialis. Call now with your prescription and pay as little as $2 a pill. We offer 24-7 service and always free delivery and confidential packaging. Change your life for the better and have fun. Call Pharmacy Shop 24-7 to get generic versions of Viagra or Cialis for as little as $2 a pill, plus free discreet shipping. 800-622-8802. That's 800-622-8802. Holy gentle giants dog food, Batman. I'm Burt Ward, Robin from the Batman TV series. I was the caped crusader, and now I'm the canine crusader. After rescuing and feeding 15,500 dogs for 23 years, my wife and I created a natural, low-fat, heart-healthy, made-in-America dog food and special feeding and care program designed to help all dogs live amazingly longer, healthier, happier lives. Our dogs are living as long as 27 healthy, active years. Yours can, too. That's twice their normal lifespan and triple for some breeds. Would you like your dog to live as long as 27 years and still be active and healthy? Gentle Giants Dog Food is complete nutrition for all dogs and puppies, all ages and sizes, and is different from other dog foods without the greasy coating and high fat content that can shorten your dog's life. Try our Gentle Giants Life Enhancing Dog Food for the longer, healthier, happier life of your dog.
Now you can get generic Viagra shipped to your door for about $2 a pill. Get the same impact for less. Call Steel Man Pills now and get the same blue pill for about $2 a pill. Call now for the 50-pill special and save even more. Plus, get a free bonus. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. That's 800-870-3609. 